Welcome to another episode of This Engineering Life. I'm Becky Simmons, a professor of the practice in mechanical engineering and material science at Duke University. I'm joined by Celine, Richard, Reina, Jack, Ellie, and Paulina. And today we've got a fantastic episode where we are talking with Steve McClellan from Duke University. Thank you for joining us. So we're here with Celine and Richard and myself, Becky, and we've got a super special guest, Steve. Can you tell us? I mean, do your own intro, Steve. Super special guest. It's a super uh, special guest. Okay. Yeah, Steve McClelland. I work here in the Pratt School of Engineering at the Christensen Family Center for Innovation. I've been here like six years now, over six years. But at Duke, you've been... I was a student. I graduated from Duke in the late 1900s in biomedical engineering <laughs> and electrical engineering. Yeah. Right before they called it computer engineering, it was just electrical. Yeah, I thought I was going to do ultrasound, but I didn't. I, I started there. I went to Siemens Medical Systems briefly. They were going to pay for grad school because I spoke German. I did try and triple major in German biomedical engineering and electrical engineering. That was a mistake. <laughs> that seems like no a reason lot to have that extra major. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I asked, you know, it's one of those things where you realize you get over your head because. High-level German becomes like high-level English. Like, it's like literature and discussions, and they were like, "Oh, you know, like this in French." I was like, "No, I don't know that." They like, "You know this in English?" No, I do not know that. Do you guys? <laughs> so I was like, "I'm really out of place here." So I think my engineering GPA was higher than my non-engineering. Ah, GPA. interesting. Because wow. mm-hmm. yeah, German beat me up, but it's probably good for me. So we'll come back and ask some experiences <laughs> about undergrad, but can you walk us through post? Uh, yeah, so undergrad? afterwards I accepted a position of Siemens Medical Systems ultrasound because they were building a new ultrasound group in Seattle. So I moved to Seattle, and I was supposed to intern there, and then they were going to send me to Erlangen in Germany to uh, work at Siemens in Germany because I was fluent in German. And then they were going to pay for my master's, a master's program in biomedical engineering probably ultrasound specifically but I got there and it was like a lovely place but it was all cubicles and I was doing like FDA approval and I'd come from Duke where we were doing like cool 3D flow and I was like documentation it was like not fun and like I was like I don't know if this is right for me and so I would ask like when is the part where I go to Germany starting and it was it was a new program so they didn't really have necessarily a great plan and I kind of panicked I mean I was young and patient and I was like I'm not doing this and so kind of the end of my internship they're like oh we can just extend it and I was like I don't know that I want to extend it because I was like when's the next thing happening yeah. they're like I oh, will just keep doing this and I was like I don't think so yeah. and so I drove around the country um, with some friends for a couple of weeks um, along the way right before I left my manager at Siemens Medical Systems he had said you should meet these guys downtown. Uh, they have a new startup. I didn't know what a startup was. So I went to downtown Seattle and I met these uh, founders of a virtual reality company. They were making head-mounted displays in 1995 for virtual reality. It's called wow. Virtual I.O. And they were like, God, you should come work here. You can build head trackers. And I was like, yeah. And so somewhere around, driving around the country, I accepted a job in Seattle, downtown Seattle. Mid-trip? Just... Yeah, mid-trip. Oh, wow. I, like from a... A payphone, I think. I didn't have a cell phone. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because in Ogden, Utah, I was like, "Yeah, I'll take the job." Got home, my parents were like, "What? You quit your job? Now you're going back?" That didn't go well. Um, but <laughs> my parents were very confused by my career choices. Um, so yeah, I went to work at this startup, and I 
ended up, I mean, at first I got there, they didn't have a computer or a desk for me, so it didn't go that well either because <laughs> um, they really weren't ready to bring anybody new in. And But I did, at one point I was just kind of asking for work, and so I ended up going and uh, managing quality assurance on the manufacturing line, which shared manufacturing with Nintendo. Oh, um, that's really neat. And I was, like, just doing quality, like, helping. There's all these technicians who were testing all the boards, around how to make sure the head trackers were tested properly for this thing in VR, which was just around the corner. It was going to be big. <laughs> still, it's still just around the corner. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's ever going to make it. Cause I, it well, just, my kids uh, up in the office, they're, I know, they're still doing it. I, it's always been close. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know when it, I mean, Apple just came out. Yeah, I know that thing. I I want that thing. I mean, I always get. I've I got Google. I I have Google Glass in my office because I I bought that. I mean, I'm a sucker, right? I buy anything that comes out. I go technology, sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's gonna be great, and I'm I'm really off on the timing. Like I'm like virtual reality very soon, but yeah, I was there for just a little while, and some friends I had were graduating. They were a year behind me in high school, and we had always talked about starting a company. We didn't really know what that meant, but we were like, we should start a company someday. And so he was finished, they were finishing at MIT, and they were like, we're going to start a company for the internet. (laughs) It's pretty broad. (laughs) At the time, though, that was enough. We were like, yeah, okay. So I quit um, this new job I had in Seattle and moved to Boston. What did your parents say then? I mean, my mom probably saved my life from my father wanting to be like, just, because they they just had, yeah, they thought, you know, going to get this engineering degree from Duke, which was a very fancy place to them. They were like, what is going on? They didn't. I didn't have any idea what engineering was. And then I had offers from, uh, I, I did electric cars at Duke. So I built um, not the cool, like, long distance. Like, we were just we're kind of Tesla style. We were, like, we converted a Carmen Ghia and a Saab Sana to, like, a 90-mile-an-hour, like, 30-mile oh, range electric car, which was really fun um, here at Duke. And so I wanted to build electric cars. That was what I really wanted to do. And General Motors had an electric car program. And I had gotten sponsorship from them. And they, you know, they, if there's a movie, Who Killed the Electric Car? That was a car I was going to go work on. And they killed it um, my senior year. Oh, and then they were like, oh, you can go work in Kokomo, Indiana on a different part. And I was like, nope. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I wanted to do the electric cars, not like golf carts or air control systems in, you know, regular cars. And so my parents were like, you turn down a GM job, then you got this medical, like, what you studied, that seems right. <laughs> you should probably go do that. And I was like, nope. And then they're like, you're going to make VR, which no one knew what that was. Mm. And they're like, startup VR. That was, that was, I mean, no sense. And then it was like, no, actually, I'm just going to go create my own company. Which, With the internet. And so, like, the amount of pay offered and the clarity of what it was just kept diminishing. And my parents were just like, what is going on? And they were like, you have student loans. I was like, I know, I know. <laughs> um, but it worked out. So now they, they believe, you know, that they, they got over it eventually. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell us a little bit more about that. That's yeah, so I went to Boston. We started a company. Um, so the lesson there was our goal was to start a company. It's a terrible goal, right? Because it's like, let's do something, right? And we did it. Uh, we actually survived the dot-com crash. because So about eight years, eight and a half years, we had this company. Uh, probably the biggest. It was 60 to 80 people. Um, ended up becoming like an internet design studio in Boston and New York. We actually, halfway through, we were about to acquire a company in London to grow even bigger, but that was when the crash, the sort of economic cycle did. We were like, we pulled back from that. But in the end, we got to this point where through all those cycles, 
it was like getting harder. At first, there was all this opportunity. The internet was new. No one knew anything. You could be an expert in like a minute because no one else had ever seen it before. And we had actually used a ton of it here. So I kind of was like, okay, yeah, I can do this. Just like VR. Yeah, like <laughs> anything that's brand new like that, there's tons of opportunity if you're willing to like spend all your days figuring it out that's ahead right. of everyone else. You just have to stay a little bit ahead. That's what but, I learned. But what about problems? So like, did you have a, a problem or you just had your no, ideas? No, we just took everyone else's problems, right? So that was, and so that's how we kind of got into this consulting design agency is people kept coming to us. Can you build this website? Can you build a cash routing system? Can you build, you know, a trading platform? Can you, we launched the first, we fought the first personalized news site it was called NewsPage by this company in Boston. We built that. There was a cash routing systems like competitor to Akamai called Mirror Image. We built that. Um, it was like, do you want to, do you want to build an international website before Unicode? Sure, we'll build that. So we launched EF, which was an educational program. So it was really all things internet, just like not. One yeah. So we thing. and so well, you know, that group of people, like you know, everybody in that team was an incredible team. Like, and it was fun because like I was not computer science, I was not great at programming, I was pretty good at solving problems. So like they basically trained me to write code <laughs> by making fun of me. Right? Like my my, my, my co-founders would just be like, what are you doing? And I, I used to do these things because I had learned assembly here to do ultrasound programming. Learned is maybe in quotes because I don't know that I was very good at it. <laughs> I knew what it was. I'll say that, right? I tried, tried hard to do it. And uh, so one time, like library, we were doing everything in C and C++, which I didn't know at all. I started to learn a little bit um, when I was bored at Siemens. And they were writing great code, and one thing wouldn't compile. And so I went and edited the library, which wasn't our library, but I found the part of the binary that was causing it to break, and I edited it. And I was like, well, now we can run the, they can, you can't just edit the library. And I was like, why not? It's like, let's just like, bring up the hex editor. And I started editing, and they were like, that's not how you're supposed to do it. And I'm like, OK, well, you fix it. I'm, for a while you're fixing that, I'm going to keep compiling my part with the edited library. So, But they, would, they didn't tolerate that. They were, they were very good about going and fixing. So I ended up getting in a role where I would kind of be the first one who would go into the companies figure out what we should build, why we should like manage all the stakeholders, which was kind of where my career ended up going. I just didn't know what I was doing. Um, but yeah, so I was kind of the person who figured out what we should build and then come back to the real good people who could build what we needed. So you figured out the problems. Yeah, sometimes. But you know, it was still consulting. So in consulting, you're, you know, contrasted with sort of what I advocate now on the sort of product management side. Product management is really figuring out what you should build, I think. Right? Um, there are tons of places where it will tell you we need this. Mm. And I'd say at that time, we mostly said, okay. Right? We didn't say, are you sure? <laughs> right? We didn't have that right. level of confidence to sort of push back and say, is that really what your business needs? Or, you know, so we, we were like right on it. Right? Now, how to do it, no one. So we were probably very good at figuring out how to do it with all the new technologies. But we didn't really question often whether they should do it. <laughs> right? But that, that company ended largely because we got to the point where the industry changed quite a bit. You know, people were in-housing, more people knew internet technologies. And so it was getting harder, too. Um, so it changed who we were selling to, the sort of length of the contracts. A lot of times we were, tra we were training a new team who would take over, so it wasn't as long a term. So it was getting harder. We'd been through all these ups and downs, and we kind of looked, and we were like, does anybody still want to do this? And the answer was no. Like, nobody wanted to be like will be a great consulting company someday. Like that was, 
we had no vision for where we wanted to go. Our goal was to be a company, which was the first goal, and then survive became the goal for a long time. Survive, grow, work with good people, like all those things, it's all interesting. You can learn a ton, but then eight years in, you're like, or does anybody want to do this? Yeah, what's like, the challenge? For the right? next eight yeah. years. I mean, it's like, well, are you going to keep doing this? Like, what? we didn't have a real vision of where we wanted to go, so we shut it down. As a company who, like, started so early when the internet was going on, mm-hmm. did you see, like, any trends that, like, like, did you focus on a lot of problems in the beginning, and, like, did that, like, shift towards other problems? You know what's insane? Looking back on it, it's really insane, is everything we worked on could have been an enormous company. Really? Right. Like, we built fun prototypes that became huge companies, right? So there was a system called Zephyr, which, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of that, right? Yeah. So it's a Unix-based messaging system. We were like, oh, this is, like, common, right? Everyone who runs Unix inside MIT, Zephyrs, right? Z-Write or whatever. And so we're like, oh, we'll build, you know, Java's new. We'll build a cross-platform, you know, chat application so you can just pop up a thing and chat with anybody, anywhere, anytime. So we had this. We ran this in our company. We built a whole messaging platform inside our company to, like, and then, like, Trillion, AOL, and we are like, wait a minute. Those are products? Right? We have this. You know? Yeah, and we built custom web servers. So we, like, often would build, like, we built a lot of AOL's gaming backends early days because AOL had all these online games, and so they needed really high-speed servers, so we wrote those. So you weren't doing IP stuff then? Oh, no. We definitely messed that up. We did not protect our code. So Ishii, um, Yoyodyne was a company that did a lot of online game contests too, more. And they were acquired by Yahoo in 96, 97. I don't know, somewhere in 98. I don't know what year it was. They got bought, but they had full rights to the code we wrote. And so they went, and actually one of our best developers went with, they, they also, mm. Yahoo was like, oh, we'll hire the guy who's Who the best at writing. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, oh, that was a mistake also. <laughs> I mean, he's, yeah, he's done well. He's great too, yeah. So what did you do after? Yeah, so right after, I was like, oh, I'll take some time, figure out. But um, in between there, I was a professional blackjack player, which you and I have talked about before, yes. which this is like weird. So we hired a gentleman, Jeff Ma is his name, and he was uh, the main protagonist for the book Bringing Down the House and the movie 21. So Jeff spoke with the writer. And there's a lot of people involved in blackjack teams, but he's the one who got a book made. And, you know, so Jeff and I were very good friends. We had hired Jeff to run marketing at our startup. We had a GIF animation tool. So we had built a whole suite of tools, probably better than Flash, um, which was Macromedia's product. And it was called GIFX. I had I knew the GIF animation spec by heart. It was like, <laughs> like I knew how to do animate anything in three space. We had all these algorithms. Could have been a full product. We had a little product for a while where people used to order by fax. Like literally, there was a fax machine in my room that would like come in with a thirty-five dollar order and then we'd send them a license yeah. to the software. So weird, but um, yeah. So Jeff came and worked at our startup, and he was there for a little while, and then he went and did a couple other startups. But one day at lunch, he was like, oh, I'm going to Atlantic City this weekend because I'm on a blackjack team. And we're like, what's that? I don't know. He's like, oh, yeah, it's just counting cards. It's like, it's easy. You guys should come. I'm like, what? <laughs> You're like, I, I'm up for another road trip. <laughs> yeah. So I actually went with him on that trip. I didn't play. And it was like just crazy. You just arrive, a limo picks you up, and you go. And I was like, what is this? Like, it was just crazy. Um, eventually, I joined the team. But pra- you had to practice multiple times per week, and I 
I couldn't commit. It was a mistake. I should have committed early. I should have dove <laughs> right in. I think I was just skeptical. I don't know. I was like, I'm busy. I got a startup. You know, it's like. How hard was it to learn to count cards? Like, oh, it's I've seen the movie and, and read a bit, but it, uh, it seems complicated. No. But it's just, it's like any, it's very simple math, right? There's no complicated math. It's, but you do have to practice, I would say. That's a the key. focus. It's, it's focus, Memorization. practice. It's not even much memorization, really? right? There's like a really simple system. It's like plus one, minus one. It's like all you do, you do that math in your head and occasionally divide by a fraction. You know, like there's not, um, but you have to do it fast and you have to do it in the environment where it gets, can get complicated. And there's different roles. So if you weren't great at counting or you, everyone sort of, you could, I ended up being what's called a gorilla for a while, which was like essentially a puppet. Like I would come and bet what other people who were counting would tell me to do. And so I would deal with all the people again. I was like the smarter people <laughs> counting cards, and I'm like the, <laughs> the user interface. <laughs> Juggling a lot of things. Though. Yeah, but it's so incredible experience. You don't even appreciate it at the time. Now I look back on it, it's just insane. Like the stuff we did. So how long? How long was that period? Oh well, they were many years. I probably played for three years. Three years. Um, but so Jeff and I were very good friends. We actually were roommates when we shut down our company, and he was thinking of starting a new company. Um, and he did start that company, and so I ended up moving to California for that company like a month after we shut down, or maybe two months after we shut down our company. And then the new company, how long was how long were you there? That was about see, that was two thousand four to so long time. So it was started in two thousand four, I believe, is when I officially joined. Uh, yeah, April two thousand four, and then we were acquired in two thousand ten. I was going to say, Actually, you were required for that one. So did you have that thought going into that company? Like, we, I'm going to oh, think about yeah. the exit plan now? Well, the thought, yeah, I was excited about that company because it was, was, you know, we had investors. The other one was all bootstrapped because we were, like, we were, like, so proud that we could bootstrap, which was a mistake also because in this, like, hyper-growth environment, we should have just taken all the money and seen how big we could get. I mean, we probably would have done a disaster, too, but just a different disaster, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? But maybe <laughs> learn different lessons, but... Yeah, there, you, I know we were very proud about like, oh, we don't have any, which was eventually we ended up taking investment, but we should have taken it much sooner, I think. To, but this time we had investors, uh, Mike and Jeff, who were the founders, you know, officially were like, this is the plan. It's like deep analytics inspired by Moneyball for sports with like a trading platform for people we thought it was going to be real money. So it seemed like this is going to be like a win or a loss in a year or two. You know, six years later, <laughs> right? Because, you know, one, the real money part wasn't yet legal. Like, we were trying to, we, everyone thought it was around the corner. It ended up being, like, ten years later. It became FanDuel. And, like, so FanDuel, those were the kind, that was the kind of company we were trying to do, like, FanDuel or those now betting companies. That was the idea. It was, like, this real money sports environment that wasn't quite betting. It just wasn't legal in time for us to capitalize on that. But it, but it seems like you know your path that it, it's it's changing a lot. But everything was building. I mean, a lot there was a lot oh, of constantly building. Sometimes you know, building when we shouldn't have been building, right? Like when we didn't really know what what we should be building or which technology we should be using. We were building a lot of software. And actually, when that company started, you know, the cloud services weren't really developed where you could launch with it. like you had to rack your own hardware. Like you had to buy hardware to run your site and so we so half that company we were racking hardware and buying hardware so it was like more expensive to start so you needed more capital we had incredible patient investors who really we learned 
I mean, I learned, I think all of us learned a ton from that experience. And somewhere along the way, we had built this, I mean, if you had a PhD in statistics and loved sports, like, we were the best show in town, right? Like, <laughs> it was like advanced analytics. We worked with all the big names in analytics, um, which was amazing, right? Because they were helping build the algorithms and we would code them up and real-time data feeds from all these different partners. Uh, but that was like a, we couldn't build a business. So we couldn't find a way to make enough money. To, just too early. To support. I don't know if it was too early. It was kind of the wrong product, like just wrong. <laughs> was, there, was there like a market still like for even though you couldn't like bet or make money from it? Well, you know, they, yeah. So, for example, we had a patent on real-time win probability. So we were the first ones to put win probability on television, right? So we would send someone into the booth and we would power ESPN's broadcast of like win probability and things like that but they wouldn't pay like a million dollars for that like they just wouldn't it wasn't it was all experiments and then teams uh, you know the analytics side of our company did some work with teams consulting with teams on who they should draft who, who how much they should pay them and things like that because we had all these advanced analytics but it just hadn't progressed to the point where it was mainstream enough or you know, we could productionize it enough that someone would just, like, pay us a licensing fee continually for it. So we kind of were now developing IP. We had real expertise. It just wasn't clear where the market was. It wasn't a consumer market, and so it made it much smaller. Mm. But you were acquired then? No. So we were stuck then. Uh. <laughs> so we shrunk quite a bit. And actually, some of my, my the two people who were mentoring me a ton in that, they, like, fired themselves. They were like, you don't need us take it from here, um, we're out, <laughs> right? Because um, they had so much experience on big companies and how this stuff, and so uh, they left it to us. We kind of really downsized and, you know, kind of the core team stayed. And we ended up switching to community at first, and we had this kind of growth strategy, how we grow around consumer sports communities, so like Bleacher Report, Sports Blog Nation. There's, we actually tried to roll up a bunch of these into with our investors to, like, build a alternative media network because we're like oh we got to be big to do advertising um, that wasn't we couldn't quite get that done it was going okay but then we really seized on mobile and social so we were uh, we were like a top Facebook developer when they first opened their platform I think we were the first push alerts on iPhone for sports scores so we were like we had all this data and all these advanced analytics so we could power any sports experience and luckily and we had a partner with Sports Illustrated who didn't really have a great I'd say fantasy sports portfolio, which is where all the money in sort of sports media was. And so we powered their brackets and we powered a fantasy game with them and they sold it. And so suddenly we went from 250,000 users a month to 3 million users a month. Oh, wow. And we started just really growing. And that was, of course, the 08-09 recession. It's like the worst time in history to be doing great. <laughs> so we'd go talk to investors and they'd be like, yeah, we're not investing right now. Like, and we're like on this growth trajectory. Mm -hmm. So by the end of 09, we were, we were doing great, but it wasn't clear. Again, you get tired. We're six years in at this point. So three years in, we're like totally doomed. Six years in, we're in good shape. <laughs> or, you know, five and a half years in, we're like, oh, now we're doing great. But our investors have, you know, pumped money in to keep us going. So we're kind of, you know, in the hole, and it's like, can we raise more money and like be a standalone company or do we sell? We thought we'd get in a bidding war, that didn't work out because honestly, because some of the people who could bid on us had no idea 
they were still didn't understand mobile and social and how big it would be, mm-hmm. right? So like, it felt like we were like, um, felt like ah, we're you know this is the peak. We were far from the peak, right? This is 2010. Yeah. So there was, but there's tons of big, a lot of money that still didn't know how big that stuff was going to be. I think if we had made, if we could have figured out a way to last two more years, we probably would have been much bigger. But um, Yahoo was the leader in fantasy sports, and they had kind of not capitalized on mobile. So it was like us, CBS, and ESPN were like competing for top mobile apps um, oh, in sports. Great. And so Yahoo was like, "Well, I think we need to be in this game." And actually, the story of that, a gentleman told us that after we were acquired, they actually talked to us for a while, and then they kind of were like, these guys, you know, because they could, they could have built everything we had. They just would have had to focus on it, and they didn't, right? So they kind of talked to us for a while, and then they were like, they just stopped talking to us, right? It's just the kind of ghost you. This happens all the time. Um, so we were used to that. But then I guess at one point they were... Um, getting ready to pitch, um, the way the story went, it was McDonald's for a big advertising buy for fantasy sports. And so they're like, they're in their pitch, they're like, why are we better than ESPN? Why are we better than CBS? Like all these things. And they go into McDonald's and they're pitching. And so this is the money side of the house, right? Not the technical side of the house. And the money side. And McDonald's was like, have you heard of these guys, Citizen Sports? We're going to buy with them for March Matt. And they were like... No. <laughs> <laughs> now we're taking their money, right? And so then they came back, and, oh, and wow. that led to the acquisition, right? Um, they didn't say that to us at the time, but we learned later that that was this moment where they were like, oh, man, this is going to be a problem because they're coming for us, or for our money. Like, you know, they weren't worried about our technology. They were worried about the, the money part. The money the part, yeah. So are you a big sports? Were you always a big sports person? No. You know, it's so funny. I often end up in domains where I don't, I think I'm interested in most things, which has been served me well. But like even coming to Duke, I didn't care about basketball. And people were like, oh, you're going to this guy, baby. I'm like, okay, I'll go to that. And I loved it, right? I think the community around it and like some of the world class best moments of you know, my time were just watching Duke basketball. So I became a very big Duke basketball fan. So, and I grew up in Ohio, which, and then Virginia, but in Ohio, like sports was everything, right? It was football like you know that was like what everybody did on the weekend I mean it was big so you kind of grew up in the kind of sports environment so I understood the fandom part of it but I was never like that much of a stat head or anything like that I just you're just excited yeah you're just I've known you for a while you're just excited about everything right yeah I like learning the stuff and I mean it is fascinating I mean the stat stuff was I mean I learned so many things about there's a whole world when you get into it it's unbelievable right Um, and like yeah, and the, you know the blackjack was all stats stuff too. It was like yeah. all, all statistics. <laughs> I was, I don't know, just like wow, math works. <laughs> Which you know, when you lose a lot of money, you're not sure if math works because <laughs> you're like, wait a minute, oh yeah, all right, variance. Like you just like gotta take a deep breath and realize, like, keep going. It's not real. It's just numbers. <laughs> yeah. But before you came to Duke, you didn't come from that company. So you have the acquisition. And yeah. Still so some then, time. yeah. So then you're then you're Yahoo. So then you have an earnout at Yahoo. So I was at Yahoo for six years, probably six years. That must have been very different. Unbelievable different. Like, at first it was just so foreign. I just wasn't sure. Like they wouldn't even buy us iPhones. We were a top iPhone developer, and they were like, "No, we issue BlackBerry." Like at the time. Oh, really? And we're like, wow. well, we we are going to buy iPhones because like, <laughs> that's what we... I mean, eventually, you know, um, that had its own phase. When we first got there, within the first six months, they fired the CEO. 
and then we had a different CEO every quarter for five quarters. Oh my goodness. Um, and so uh, we integrated into sports really quickly. That was like almost, I would, about as clean as it can get, right? The mm-hmm. team, we were mobile largely, but we understood all the fans we knew data feeds. We had great developers. Culturally, they were a great fit. The sports team was amazing. So that was like easy. And then a few of us, for good or for bad, we decided that we got this responsibility to kind of integrate what we knew about social and mobile into all of Yahoo Media, which is global. And that was like where we just learned about stakeholder management and like what it's like to work in a big company and all the different pieces and I mean, legacy technologies. It just got very complicated really quick and had to learn a lot to do that. Would you say that you like that better or worse than like the startup kind of? Atmosphere? Oh, I liked it worse. Like, yeah, no, it's it's way worse. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> not not for the. I mean, some of the things you have to. There's the impact is incredible. Like when you launch something at one of those companies, the number of people who use it right away is just phenomenal, mm-hmm. and that part is pretty cool, right? That just like, or like you know, I I had teams in Taiwan and I had teams in London and I would visit those teams and just this incredible experience to like go and see how you know what was different what was the same right and then managing all the communication um but yeah we we, you know i learned a bunch of lessons there like i got in charge of this one project which was kind of the future of media and so i like had this whole vision like but like the company was not in a six-year horizon like the yahoo was under assault because of mobile really um, like, you know, web traffic was dying and they weren't strong on mobile and social. Like, Facebook was on the rise, Google's on it. So you just had this squeeze. So the battle to, like, maintain revenue when you have to do that was, like, really hard. And so I had this, like, longer outlook, which was probably not the appropriate outlook, but I was like, let's do this. Um, but then we kept changing. And then, you know, Marissa Meyer came in as the CEO about halfway through my time there. And it was incredible. Like, the how quickly she made changes, like the decisiveness with which she made decisions, and like, you know, it, it got it became a product company again, and not quite as much firefighting. It, I mean, I would say the amount of work went way up because <laughs> yeah. the expectations really for us changed. Um, but and then by the end, I think you know Yahoo had this huge asset in Alibaba, mm. which just started to dominate. I mean, it was worth so much more than the core business that like. It got really just kind of clunky in the end. So what convinced you then to go come to Duke from there? Well, I actually went to Twitter first. So Oh, right. So I went to Twitter for about a year and a half, a year and a quarter. Probably exactly a year and a quarter because you asked quarterly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit more than a year and a quarter. Um, yeah, I got introduced. My friend, same friend Jeff introduced me to um, tech leadership at Twitter and uh, Jack Dorsey had come back in the fall and so this was the spring of 2016 and they were trying to rebuild their product team and reconstitute kind of the team because they had kind of gone through this lull and they had lost a ton of people and everyone's like don't go there it's like crazy it's a mess like I was like you can't kill me I'm already dead <laughs> like I've been through the mess right and I was fascinated by the product. I was fascinated by Twitter. I thought it was really fast, like just the speed with it. And it was mobile first. So I knew how what an advantage that was having come from Yahoo. And then also um, when something happened, it was like the only, there was no competitor. Nothing worked quite like it. And it was also a mess. And so that felt like 
that that seems worth working on. Um, and so I ended up getting a job there um, as director of product, and I loved it. I loved it. At first, I was like, what have I done? Um, but, you know, incredibly talented people, like, they were they were promoting people within. They had, like, really good programs to sort of train people. There was, like, a really cultural shift in terms of how the company was run. They were there a long way to go, but, like, one of the meetings I went in, I thought it was, like, almost prototypical of how you should manage a product. Like, it was, like, these are the metrics. Here's what we've heard from consumers. And I was, like, how is, I was, like, we're, we're doomed. If they're doing it this way, like, I can't even help because it's perfect. <laughs> then I went to another one and we were, like, we decided to just launch. I was, like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's the made up, you know, somebody here. somewhere wanted a thing and we're building a huge piece. And I was, like, oh, okay. <laughs> if we don't do that, then we do that. That will be it. So it was really fascinating. And, you know, both those companies had tons of machine learning, tons of data. Yahoo was actually probably ahead of Twitter in terms of data, um, you know, personalization. I worked with PhD teams who did natural language processing. I learned tons about all that stuff. And then, you know, at Twitter, you're trying to rank things really quickly. Linear algebra comes back to haunt you. Everyone is <laughs> talking about the vector sizes and, like, how to reduce the vectors and how to... You're like, oh, I've heard of this before. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> Luckily, there's smart people there that can do the math. Yeah, so I, I thought it was just fast. It was painful, though, because there's so many problems. And, like, being inside versus outside, people were like, why don't they... Just? And you're like, oh, my God. I remember the 2016 election... The core product team that was building, like, the experience that everyone uses. It was about 300 people at that time. Um, the company was probably 3,000, right? But the people building the product was 300 or so. And then it'd be, like, Twitter, Facebook, Google. And I was like, Facebook's product team is, like, 18,000. Yes, <laughs> like, right. Google's is, like, 20,000, right? And we're, like, 300. And they're like, why don't you guys just stop China and Russia? And you're like, what? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? You're so overmatched, right? Like, yeah. you know, it's just a fascinating place to be because, you know, you get to see, you go home and you just read about what people are saying and you're like, you have no idea, like, the, the, the bite. The inside of it. The, yeah. Like, just what, what's going on to try and, and the, I mean, who knows what everyone's intentions are, but, like, I always found everyone's, like, so earnestly trying to make a great product. Like, they weren't. But it's hard. It's just so hard. And so, like, you know, I don't know, you always hear those things about it. And it's like, yeah. I was, like, been inside and being like, yeah, I don't know. Like, we're doing our best, right? And, I mean, maybe that's that's bad, too. But, like, I always find it interesting. Like, I have this perspective, which is maybe controversial. But I always feel like, like, when Twitter was new, everyone just makes fun of it. Same with Facebook. They're like, it's stupid. And then when it's powerful, they're like, well, you did it wrong. And you're like, well, you didn't even care. But you used to make fun of it. You know what I mean? Like, you used to make fun of it. <laughs> now you're like, it's too powerful. And you're like, you should have gotten involved when it was dumb. <laughs> then it would maybe come up the right way. So I don't know. It's, it's a, it, was, it was a great. But, yeah, um, I left because um, we decided to move back to North Carolina. And the former dean, Robbie, he visited. I had been involved with the Board of Visitors and visited Durham, like, every six months or so. And I, I loved it. And um, when Robbie came in, he was talking about uh, hiring diversity into the um, faculty and I was like, that's great. You should do that. Because especially in California, you just, I think it was just part of the culture. And I would come back and I'd be like, oh, this is behind. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then uh, he was also like, we should do more innovation entrepreneurship. I was like, definitely. I had never heard of it when I was here. And it was been my whole career. So I was like, yeah, go. And so he visited me in San Francisco. And I had a lot of opinions about what he should do. And he was like, well, why don't you come do it? And I was like, 
I live here. <laughs> my kids are in school. I have a house. Like, I walk to work. Like, it's a whole career. But my wife is from North Carolina. My family is in Virginia. We'd always, we actually several times looked at moving back. I had an offer for a CTO job in Richmond. Uh, I had an offer for a technical job in D.C. at one point. So we always kind of looked. And we were always like, nah, California is for us. Like, and it probably is still. But, uh, we, but we also said, oh, we should be in your family. It's important. We'll come back. And, but we always didn't. <laughs> and then this one, I was like, I visited Durham a ton. We knew we liked the area. Our parents were getting older. And so we were like, maybe we should just try it. Like our kids were uh, young enough that we could move and change our mind and not probably disrupt their life too much. Um, so we were like, let's give it a shot. So it was like kind of a jailbreak. And so I told Twitter, I was like, I can't. I can't lead these teams remotely, which if I waited a couple years, I could have because the pandemic would have required it. Um, but yeah, so they, they actually were great about it. And um, my boss at the time asked me to stay on and I managed the team remotely for about, I, I flew back and forth for maybe the first six months I was here. But actually that was the best management I ever did in my career because I knew I was leaving. So like no information could stay with me. It needed to go, to, go up to leadership or it needed to go to the team to execute. Like, and I was like, oh, I wish I had managed like this my whole career. It would have been like much better. I would be a good manager. Like, you know, it's like on the way out, I learned like what I should have so been much. doing. Yeah. So, and what is, what is your favorite thing then? Because you've been at Duke now, how many years? Six years, I think. Six. We came in 2017. And what's the highlight? Uh, the students, oddly. <laughs> I didn't expect it. And that's why I say oddly. I didn't know how great it would be to work with students. Like the energy, the perspective. There's times when I'm like, don't worry about that. You can't, you know, yeah. say like, don't worry about that, right? Because of course you're going to worry about that. I worried about it, right? Right. Um, and, the, and the number of things that are different are surprising. Like I had no idea what my job was going to be when I graduated. Now I feel like people know when they're like a sophomore. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, there's going to be time, yeah. right? I also, I mean, I try and share this perspective too. I think there's so much opportunity that happens like on the ground, like literally, like if you go a place, like I moved to Seattle and suddenly I start, I got introduced to a startup and that's where I, so, but if you, they would never recruit, you know, you would never find that, that company's not advertising online. Like, so there's a lot of that serendipity that I think still happens if you just choose a place, choose an industry and start to like work the networks, but. Put yourself out there. You were always putting yourself out there. I think in some ways the internet has hurt that. It wasn't possible when I was a student to look online or apply online, yeah. right? So you, you traveled more and you, um, but I still think there's a ton of opportunity in doing that. But you think like, oh, if I can't find it online, it doesn't exist. But I think a lot of these opportunities, because the big companies have those recruiting cycles and they have some number of positions they've decided to go recruit. Everybody else doesn't. They just do it when they need it. They're like, oh, we need somebody. Or this person is who we need. We didn't know we needed them until they showed up. So that was different. But the student, we working with the students have been fun. The energy, um, I think they make us better because they, they ask good questions and expect a lot from us. I also, I mean, one of my favorites, I did this Hacking for Defense course, which is, again, an industry, no experience in military service. Um, I was looking to teach teamwork, and I was like, who teaches teamwork? Yeah. I was like, we all put people in groups, but that's like the pain without the instruction, right? It's like, work in a group, <laughs> right? But we don't teach teamwork generally. Um, and so I was like, who does it? And I was like, athletics kind of does it. Like, they have these roles and responsibilities. They have coaching. It's a specific role. Um, and then the military, they have very um, more sophisticated systems for teaching teamwork and how you communicate and all that. And I knew that was really important for entrepreneurs. And so I reached out. Someone was like, you should talk to this guy. He's, 
And turns out Duke grad, um, just a couple years younger than me, but had been a uh, Green Beret, had done his PhD in essentially teamwork <laughs> and right, um, was running a startup and like, you know, and so they're like, you should talk to him. And so he came and talked to my class, which went really well. And then we decided to teach this class together, which we embedded students with problems in the military and talk about not, I mean, all the, ac not knowing anything. And we decided we were just going to make the course really hard and just see what happened. And the students were like, oh, yeah, no problem. And we're like, oh, <laughs> now we're screwed. Because <laughs> like, like that class, the first day of class, every team was required to have already completed 10 interviews and present the first day of class. Everyone did it. Yeah. The Duke students do exceed expectations. Yeah, you just have to set the bar. And they will be like, OK, whatever. It's yeah. the Duke difference. Uh, it is so, it's so amazing. But, but I think often, they, even as instructors, we don't set the bar because it's a ton of work for us. Yes. Right? It's so hard to set the bar and then match it. And so like we were exhausted. I mean, he's the most organized. I mean, he's a Green Beret. And with them, we were like, oh, <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> We were coached, right? We were just like, but that first class we were walking, I remember we were walking through campus. We used to go um, get beers after class um, at the, whatever that's called now. The, it used to be the hideaway, but now it's... Oh, yeah, I don't know what it's called over The again. bar in the bottom of West Union. Oh, oh. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. Gothic but, Grill? I don't know the some, Yeah, something there yeah. down there. There's a beer there. <laughs> we, we would walk over there and we were like, whew, what have we done? Because, <laughs> like... Students from, it was interdisciplinary. We had, we always, our claim to fame was we had someone from every program, even Divinity, in our course at one wow. point. That made it very interesting. Yeah, we did make it interesting. But there was all these conflicts we didn't imagine either. It was just like a third-year law student writing an MOU with a sophomore CS because he was like, we should have a working agreement. And they were like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you giving me a legal document for our course? Really <laughs> we're like, eh, you guys got to work it out. Uh, uh, yeah. So, wow. You probably are asked this quite a bit, but what is your advice then to undergrads? Yeah, the, I would say I have a couple of pieces that I always give. Um, one, I wouldn't double, triple, multi-minor, right? Especially if it's engineering, right? I think if you have one hard, rigorous degree, that's good. <laughs> that's There's enough. Just, there's so much outside of class to do, too. Yeah, and so I think, you know, well, one also, I you know, I think... The, I mean, the credentials are cool, but I think if they limit your opportunity too much, if you, you know, I and E certificate is good because there's a mix of stuff in there. But I think even then, if it's if it's any, if you're making any trade-offs just to get the certificate, I just wouldn't do it. Yeah. I would take more intros, more int like I just got my transcript because apparently you get your transcript online for free. Oh. Right. And I got my transcript back, and I was like, hmm, what's this? I had a, a fail. I failed a class my senior year at Duke. I was like, I don't even know. It was equitation. And I was like, oh, I had signed up for equestrian. <laughs> what? <laughs> Never went. No one apparently told me I wasn't going. I probably paid for it. But I, I didn't even know how to get there. And so it's on my transcript. I failed equestrian my senior year. Too. And I was like, I didn't even know I took it. I mean, I, now I remember. That's a super fun fact for you. Yeah, I was like, well, well you know what? Like, uh, at least it's a U, not an F, you know? Like, this is a message for undergrads because worried about grades? Here's an F on your transcript. It, has it was grades. a U. It was a, a U. U. <laughs> a U. No one even knows what a U is. Yeah, but it's like zero <laughs> impact in your successful life. No, no impact, right? I, I didn't even know it was there. <laughs> Maybe it had an impact. Just imagine if I had, if I had passed equestrian, <laughs> one, I'd be riding a horse to class because <laughs> I'd be so good at it by now. 
Yeah, no, I yeah, I think that's the thing is, um, I the world has changed a ton, so it's like hard to compare. But I think you know there's so many interesting opportunities here, and to get introduced, like one of the things coming back. So all I can really say is coming back, your ability to go meet with interesting people in a lot of different domains and subjects, or take their course, which I don't usually get to do. One of the reasons I like co-teaching is get to listen half the time right to someone else's expertise so I did one with cultural anthropology and it's all amazing stuff and so I think if you can get more diverse courses I think it's just so great for your mind um, and I get the the draw of extra credentials like I was at the football game they're like she is majoring in math and minoring in seven other things and like a certificate and I'm like, <laughs> like I mean some of those happen by accident they just happen because yes. you take the right stuff but I wouldn't let those choose what you take. I would go try and take. Like, I wish I had taken more philosophy or there's some incredible music classes here. I mean, I tried equestrian, I guess, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I took volleyball. We had to take PE, so I like, did volleyball. And equestrian, apparently, did bad at it. We didn't ride. But, but you said you were multiple pieces, so that's one. Yeah, so that's one. The other is, uh, the other is um, when asking for help, like, so asking for help is a big thing, um, if you can learn how to do that. Um, Students don't have a lot of um, compassion for themselves, but they have great compassion for their um, friends. So mm -hmm. if they could just give some of that same compassion themselves, they'd do better. Um, but I think that they, um, if you're asking for help, it's better to um, make some choices, right? Because you can change them. Most decisions are changeable. Like I've, I moved Seattle, Boston, San Francisco, <laughs> Durham, right? or Durham, Seattle, San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. So I just keep bouncing, right? And um, one, you get good at it if you are open to it. Um, but so if you if you say like, I, sometimes I ask students, what's your dream job? Because it gives me a sense of like, if you could just choose, what would you choose, right? I get like, you, you're like, I'm open to anything. I can't help you with like that. Like if you're like, hey, Steve, help me get a job somewhere in the world doing something. <laughs> like I don't even, it doesn't even help my brain focus to even think about how I might help you. So then there's a ton of work on me to sort of narrow, be like, well, I think, you know, she would really be great at this. And so maybe that, so now I'm doing all the work. And so even if you say like, I want to be in New York City in banking, right? And live on the Lower East, like all those things help me <laughs> narrow the scope. And I think they help you too, because you can like put like in engineering fashion, put some constraints on the problem Right, and then it's easier to solve. If you just say build a thing, it's impossible, yeah. right? Because like, who knows what the requirements are? And then, if you can't build that thing, if you can't get that job, you can change the requirements. And you, like in this case, you can just be like, well, actually, I'd rather be in Tulsa, <laughs> right? Because there's more jobs there, or someone told me Tulsa is great, and so change. Uh, and so I think the more constraints you put around um, where you look, it, it's helpful. So I think it's okay to make decisions. And stick with them long enough to see if they were good, because um, most of them won't be. <laughs> but that's, that's okay. Right. That's, that's all right. right. That's, that's all right. That's right. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's learning. okay. You're it's okay. But I think you gotta make those choices and then go with it for a while, and then see, right? I mean, I think I pulled the ripcord too quick on some of my decisions, because I just, I don't know. I, it's not even panic. It's just like this sucks. I'm out. Right. <laughs> just kind of you know, a little bit of a tantrum, right? <laughs> sometimes you need to stick longer. Oh, yeah, because I don't think you know what you're going to experience. Like, you don't know what, like, the relationships will be the biggest probably opportunity that you make in any any place you go. Um, and so those take time always. Mm -hmm. So you, it's going to take six 
months to a year to really know if a job is even good, right? Because at first it's not going to be. It rarely do you walk and be like, this is the best day of my life. <laughs> yes. right? Or it is until someone gives you stuff to do. And then you're like, well, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> this is why they call it work, right? Like, That's right. Got a lot to do. That's I have a, a bit of an INE question. Sure. So how, I guess, like, in your opinion, how has INE changed over, like, the course of your time here? And, like, how do you see in the future? Because you've worked in a lot of... I guess, like, groundbreaking, like, when tech was still new, internet was still new, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of hyper, um, I guess, like, a lot of companies, like, being built at the same time, right? Yeah. About things that haven't been built yet. But now I feel like a lot of people, especially people interested in INE, think that everything kind of has been built, and they have a lot of trouble yeah, they thinking are, about that. they are all wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I had the same thought. So one of the reasons I, like, jumped ship for this internet company it's like this is a unique moment in history mm-hmm. where everything has changed and no one else knows this technologies. So like I gotta start a company now because like otherwise I won't be qualified. Like everything else everyone knows. And so this is a new thing that no one knows, so I'll be the and then I actually had this conversation with one of our investors, very sophisticated investor, and he's like, Yeah, the great thing about that is that happens about every six months to a year. Oh, right. There's always a new thing that nobody understands or knows what to do with. Um, I mean, quantum computing is one here that, like, <laughs> who knows what to, If you could find out what to do with quantum computing, you're done. Like, it's going to be a win. <laughs> but I, I, you know, the the way I see the world now is constantly like, wow, that is so broken. It's actually, my wife would tell you it's a problem because I'm like, well, maybe I'll start a company. And she's like, just shut up. Right? <laughs> actually, she's always like, go for it. And I'm like, oh, don't say that because <laughs> I will. Um, but there's so many opportunities for stuff that, like, you know, I mean, AI, like, mm-hmm it's probably the most, the biggest change I've seen in my whole career. And I saw the internet, I saw mobile, I saw social, I saw search, I saw, I mean, there's all this stuff, it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming, and the rate at which it's coming, and recognizing is maybe the hard part, mm-hmm. um, and being okay with that everybody makes fun of it. Like I said, all this stuff gets made fun of for That's a while. Right. In hindsight, now we were like, oh, yeah. the internet was so big, but like when you were doing it, everyone was like, oh, everything's been invented. And right? some like, stuff like it? never quite, I mean, VR just, it's still around, yeah. right? It didn't die. I mean, I think blockchain is going to be like that. It's going to be, it's still around. It's like an enormous thing. No one knows quite what to do with it, mm-hmm. but it's not small, <laughs> right? And it is, it hurts my brain to think about it. And now the AI stuff is, I mean, who knows what that's going to do. So there's, I mean, it just keeps coming. And I will say the stuff that you think is like, everybody knows this. Like, I thought, well, why would anyone ever pay for email? There's a free one you can install. It's like, oh, it turns out they need support and they need training and they need better UI. And right. So, like, stuff I just thought was like, that's solved. They're, like, it was not, right? Because there's the problems that people have are way beyond, like, does it work? Which is, you know, where engineers often start. It, like, works. It's like, for who, <laughs> right? For someone who knows Unix and has, like, <laughs> all this stuff installed, like, that's who it works for. So there's usually a much bigger market than you imagine for stuff that seems uh, normal for you. Gotcha. Yeah. But there's it's it's all the time. And I it drives me crazy because I'm always like, maybe. Like, I have, yeah, I got a lot of ideas. If you want to just come up with startup ideas, I'll do that all day. Well, we're going to have to interview you again in two years <laughs> with your next I have a startup now, too. I have a startup. Oh, so what is the startup now? It's called Navi. It's, a, it's something we did with student founders around scaled coaching. Um, and so we are building software for coaching people around innovation and entrepreneur. And what's funny is our our biggest client is the military right now. And so... So coaching, you don't mean uh, athletics. You mean any... any innovation, any, yeah. Any yeah, coaching. so it's like if you're trying to figure out, well, one, define the problems, and then think about what the next steps are. There's all these 
mean, there's all kinds of frameworks and methods, um, but most people have not been trained on them. Like you're trained in them a lot, you're a Duke, but everybody else is not. And so they don't even know how to think about like solving problems with those methods. And so we've been doing that and it's funny, we were gonna do it for entrepreneurs and we, it turns into, it came in military training, so we're doing mostly military customers right now. Well, that's but fantastic. We'll yeah. I hope it goes away. <laughs> no, actually, I, I let them stew. Like, um, there was a professor at MIT. He's like, when do you stop working on an idea? And it's like, whenever you want. <laughs> it's like your idea, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so you can put it down. And I actually think the good ones stick around. They stick with you. They pop back up. And you think, like, oh, I already had this idea. But generally, you didn't. You had, like, a version of it, and now it's ten times better because you've let it stew, and you've had more experiences, or it popped up in different scenarios. So I just, you know, I just, like... I just let them come back to me, right? Like, sometimes you can like, really explore it, and if you're like, I don't, I don't have a next step, <laughs> like, just leave it. And then if it pops back up, you're like, oh, right? And then you'll go back and you'll be like, most of this is garbage, but this part was interesting. <laughs> and you can go from there, because yeah, there's a lot of throwaway work, which no one likes to do. I think that was the biggest training for our developers. It's like, most of this will, will delete. They sunk cost, right? Yeah, everyone thinks like, oh, let's just build it once and build it perfect. That's not going to happen. Good luck. Yeah, it's not going to (laughs) work. Do you plan to stay at Duke? Because you've jumped through a lot of things. I love it. It's Um, been six years. As long as Duke will have me, right? Like, I'm a bit of an asteroid. Um, (laughs) And, like, you're like, what is that guy here? Um, But I feel as long as I'm useful, I'll stay. I love it. I love it. And I think it is, you know, I like having a startup outside because I like the inside and out. It keeps me thinking more. Um, and and also, those lessons. Yeah, and also for what I do, I probably need to have a startup if I'm going to teach you about startup. It changes all the time, too. Like, the way our startups worked, it's not how it works today. Like, I haven't done fundraising recently. I'm sure it's totally different. Like, so me telling you how to do it, if I haven't done it in 15 years, it's probably not that useful. <laughs> Right, because it keeps changing. So I, pro- I mean, it's probably just way for me to stay in, stay relevant. <laughs> Sometimes I do think maybe just play golf or something. But <laughs> <laughs> someday, get bored. yeah, I someday. Know, I, don't I think you'd get bored pretty quickly. Yeah, probably. Oh. I don't know. I don't think I'd get bored. I'd just be doing like four startups. Or I would be. Yeah. No, no, playing golf all day. Yeah, no, that wouldn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was great. Thank you so much, yeah, Steve. Sure. We really appreciate your time and all of the lessons and stories. Thank you for joining us in this episode, and this is the last episode of the season. So have a great winter break, everyone, and we'll catch you guys back in the spring.